0: What percentage of your students do you think your faculty is actively disengaging from the school experience? I said that right. I said disengaging, not engaging. And whether it's intentional or unintentional, this happens probably more than we'd like to admit. And in today's conversation with James Anderson, we start off our conversation with a boy, James, at the time, who is super excited to be learning more and more about music and specifically drumming until his music teacher really crushed that dream and that passion that he had for drumming and for music. And I am asserting that we do this more often than we would like to admit. So James is going to invite us into that conversation unpack, you know, some insights that he had around that experience, and James also is going to present a very unique idea. We talk a lot about leadership here on the Better Leaders, Better Schools show. It's in the name, but the concept that James has created and introduces to us today is this concept of learnership, and you'll also learn about the learnership matrix he's created as well. You're going to love today's show. Hey, it's Danny, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders just like you who are making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after some short messages from today's show sponsors. Learn how to recruit Develop, retain, and inspire outstanding individuals and teams to deliver On the Vision of Your School in Leading People a Certificate in School Management and Leadership course from Harvard. Leading People runs from June 15th to July 13th, 2022. Apply by June 3rd. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by school leaders like Principal Kateras using TeachFX. Special populations benefit the most from verbally engaging in class, but get far fewer opportunities to do so than their peers, especially in virtual classes. TeachFX measures verbal engagement automatically in virtual or in-person classes to help schools and teachers address these issues of equity during covid Learn more and get a special offer from Better Leaders, Better Schools listeners at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Well, James Anderson is a speaker, author, and educator who is passionate about helping fellow educators develop students' skill for learners, a quality he defines as learnership. James, welcome to the show. Thanks, Daniel. Pleasure to be here today. And pleasure's all mine. I, I wrote in an email um, earlier today that I'd be speaking with you. We're talking about learnership versus leadership, and I wrote in the email copy I wish I had come up with that idea. I love uh, the way you've defined it in that edge that you've created. So we're, we're for sure going to dig into that concept. But James, if you would, can you take us way back? I think it was sixth or seventh grade maybe. But you had an experience in music class that turned you off from learning. What was that experience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was funny because it originally turned me on to learning. What happened was uh, mm. Year 7 music. In Australia, that's the first year of secondary school. So it was the first time I had specialist teachers and the first time I'd ever gone to a um, specialist music class. And I didn't really know what to expect. I walked into this classroom and I was blown away. Like it was amazing. Instead of having the row, chairs all in rows, the middle of the room had three drum kits on the side of the wall, there's all these um, mats with bongos, and the one row of tables all had drumsticks. Within five minutes of this lesson starting, I'm just wow, the, the kids on the drum kits going boom, tsh, boom, tsh, boom, tsh, we're making this noise. The kids on the bongos, duh, 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 duh. it was fantastic. Now, uh, keep in mind, I'm, I'm switched on, I'm engaged, I'm thinking, I don't need to be a musician, I can be a drummer. This is great. I can see my life stretching out in front of me doing this. We get through the, the lesson, and towards the end of the lesson, the teacher's gone, boys, boys' school, shh, before you go, I just want to see who can do this. Listen to that language. I want to see who can do this. Anyway, what he did is he said, What I want you to do is on your left hand, I want you to go ta, ta, ti, ti ta, ta, ti like this. And on your right hand, I want you to go ti ti, ta, ta, ti ta, ta, ta the opposite. And he said, we'll count you in, one, two, three, four. And about 30 11-year-old boys went, (laughs) uh, (laughs) we couldn't do it to save our lives. It's really quite complex sort of thing to do. Anyway, I went home and I thought, how hard can this be? I'll work it out. Now, I'm going to date myself. I flipped out the computer paper on the kitchen bench. Do you know what I'm talking about, Daniel.
0: Oh, yeah, I remember uh, in the middle, on the sides, there were a lot of perforated edges you could tear off. That's
1: the one. So I had one long piece of paper. I drew a line down the middle. I marked out the time for my left hand. I marked out the time for my right hand. I spent a couple of hours walking up and down the paper and then another hour trying to do it this way. Finally worked it out. Not that this has scarred me, but it looks like this. If I stand far enough back, it goes... Yeah, so rub your tummy, tap your head type thing. <laughs> anyway, I went, to the, I went to the teacher the next lesson and I said, hey, was this the thing you're asking us to do? And I did it and his face lit up. He went, wow, James, that's amazing. How did you do that? And I told him about the paper and the time and the effort and all the rest of it and he went, oh, so you can't really do it then. See, in his mind, there were people who could just do it and other people who had to work hard for the fact that they couldn't naturally do it. Mm -hmm. I was very quickly categorised as being the sort of person who wasn't naturally musical and other people could do it much easier than I could. Now, remember at the start of that story, Daniel, I was turned on. I wanted to be a drummer. This was going to be fantastic. But as soon as I was told that I couldn't do it, Like, I had to work hard instead. The next lesson, I sat at the back of the room. The next time a question was asked, I didn't put my hand up. Next time an opportunity was put forward, you know, do you want to come out and have a go at this? Want to do a music lesson? No, what's the point? Now, my teacher wrote on my report that, you know, James is disengaged, not interested in music. That wasn't true. I was absolutely interested in music. I just didn't believe I could do it. And for me, that was one of the really strong mindset messages I got as a kid that, and this is Carol Dweck's work that I work with now, and it's sort of the foundation piece of the learnership, that someone with a fixed mindset believes that learning is about discovering your abilities. And that's what my music teacher was telling me. He Mm. wanted to find out if we could do the rhythm thing. And I wasn't. I was sure I could do it later after I'd done the work, but I couldn't naturally do it. And so I didn't believe I could learn music. Someone with a growth mindset doesn't expect to discover their abilities. They, just, they understand they're a creator of their abilities. And when you've got that growth mindset, when you understand that learning is about creating, not discovering, the next question you want to ask is how do you get really good at that process of learning? And that's what learnership is about understanding how to get good at the process of learning.
0: I really appreciate you taking time to explain that whole story. And uh, my heart, you know, hurts for, for that experience because there you were, I mean, you know, laid out the uh, classic <laughs> copy paper. But like you said, you, you put hours into it. And, and, the, and the thing is your teacher's face lit up immediately. But then it's like, oh, you had to teach it and... <sighs> just too bad. I mean, all of that should have been celebrated versus, oh, it wasn't your natural ability. That's really too bad.
1: That's what happens all the time. In, in so many different ways in schools, mm-hmm. effort is meant to mean that it makes up for a deficit. It's what you have to put in because you don't have the natural ability. And teachers do this all the time unintentionally. I want to be really clear about this. We're not being, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my music teacher was good hearted, But he'd been raised in a world where his mum had taken him to try different things and the message had been to find out if he was good at them. And when we're in a classroom, we encourage this student. We say, yeah, it's good to see you working hard. Keep up the hard work. Here's some formative feedback. You'll get there, all this sort of encouragement. And then we turn to the student next to them and say, congratulations, you've done that really quickly. On to the next task. And what we're saying to both students is that the effort is what is required if you can't do it naturally. And that creates what I talk about as the, the greatness gap. And it is that that greatness gap, the idea that your abilities are part of who you are rather than what you do, that creates the fixed mindset.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Well, you, you've started to introduce this idea of learnership, you know, to the ruckus makers listening and watching. Uh, could you... Walk us through the concept of the learnership matrix that you've created. Yeah, absolutely. Look,
1: I suppose um, certainly here in Australia, and I notice a trend around the world, we've spent a lot of time over the last 10 or so years talking about uh, skillful teaching. What do quality teachers do in classrooms? What do quality teachers do? Um, What do skillful teachers do? And we you know, spend a lot of time building the idea of how to craft formative feedback, mm-hmm. setting challenging goals for students, doing all this sort of work. But sometimes I find that, you know, we'll have great teachers spending hours crafting formative feedback, but then students don't read it. You know, we'll set challenging tasks for students and the students will say, can I have something easier? And so while teachers are doing their side of the equation, I don't know that students are always holding up their side of the bargain. And it reminds me of something John Holt. Maybe you might know John Holt. who's an American educator 40 years ago now, I suppose. Mm. And one of the things he said was that learning is not the result of teaching. Learning is the result of the activity of learners. And so we can be the most skillful teachers in the world but if students don't engage in the learning process equally as skillfully, we're not going to see those results. So I've met a lot of teachers who feel like they drag students through the learning process. They do all the hard work of the learning. And so I started asking this question: well, what does it look like to engage skillfully in the learning process? And what we started to look at, I looked particularly at the work of Anders Ericsson. You might know Anders Ericsson's work through the 10,000-hour rule,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: deliberate practice, that sort of idea.
0: Right.
1: Looked very closely at the work of Art Costa and Benek Halik around habits of mind and then around sort of broader ideas around how we use mistakes and feedback to get information for learning and also this concept of effort, which is this sort of... <sighs> if you 'll forgive me for it, those of you watching are listening on the podcast you mightn 't quite get this one, but some of our students uh, engage in this sort of effort.
0: <laughs>
1: I call it the constipation version of effort, so <laughs> the people on the podcast can just imagine what I just did <laughs> but they confuse, they confuse effort with the amount of time and energy that is spent rather than how that time and energy is spent, and so we looked at this idea of. Um, learnership and say, well, what are the key characteristics that determine how well you engage in the learning process? And we looked at how you respond to challenge, how you develop your habits of mind, how you get information from mistakes and feedback, and how you distribute and use your time and energy. Now, Daniel, if you want, I can, um, without you having to press any buttons, share my screen and walk people through this uh, matrix, if you like.
0: Yeah, it'll be great for uh, people watching on YouTube and uh, we'll make sure to describe it quite nicely for the listeners and uh, we'll also point people towards the video and all your resources too. Yeah, I'll certainly talk through it.
1: So using those five characteristics, I describe six types of learners. The non-learner, and I don't think we've got a lot of these people, mm. um, but this is sort of like a baseline. A non-learner is someone who avoids a challenge. They would rather do nothing than something. If you offer them options A, B and C, they'll ask you, do I have to? Yeah. This is a student who is ignorant of their learning behaviours. They've got no language to describe how they engage in the learning process because they kind of don't engage in the learning process. They ignore mistakes, disregard feedback, and their time is spent largely wasted. The next sort of learner that at least engages a little bit in the learning process is what I call a beginning learner. And a beginning learner reduces their challenge. If you offer them options A, B and C, they'll say, can I have option D? Is there something easier to do? I'm sure all the teachers I work with know these sorts of learners. Mm -hmm. These are the learners that can describe what they did after they've done it. But because they haven't really developed that language of learning, how to describe what they're doing, there's no prediction. There's no, I will need to persist, I will need to ask questions to do this. It's a after I've done it sort of thing. They can recognise mistakes, they acknowledge feedback, but they don't act on it. They say, that's wrong and thanks for the feedback. And they spend their time doing. They're busy, they're active, they can be filling their time But they're filling their time with busy work rather than productive growth type work. My third learner is what I call a performance learner. And tell me if you've met these sort of students before, Daniel, these are the students who want to do their best. These are the ones that will limit their challenges to what they know they can do well. They won't risk going beyond where they might make a mistake. They can apply their habits of mind they can tell you what they need to do to reproduce the same type of standard they've done before, but they avoid mistakes. They're trying to stay in their performance zone just below their best so they don't get things wrong, and they will select feedback. <laughs> I always uh, laugh at these students, not laugh at them, but laugh at this behaviour, that they'll read through the feedback and they're thrilled to read, oh, you've done that well and you've achieved this and you've done a good job of that, But as soon as you get to that point where you say, all right, here's some constructive feedback and you can improve this and I want you to give this a go, that's all ignored. And so these students spend their time performing. They go, ta-da, look what I can do, ta-da, look what I can do. Always their best but never stretching and challenging themselves. All three of these learners, the non-learner, the beginning learner, the performance learner, are what I call below-the-bar learners they're not actually growing because they're not stretching themselves, challenging themselves to do better than their current best. The first above the bar learner is what I call a directed learner. This directed learner will attempt a challenge, but the challenge has to be given by the teacher. In the, for the directed learner, the teacher is doing all the hard work of learning. They set the challenges, they tell you how to go about doing them, scaffolding it. Do you know any teachers, Daniel, that you talk to? And I know you talk to hundreds and thousands of teachers on your podcast and your training and so forth. But do you talk to teachers that feel like they drag kids through the learning process?
0: Yeah. That do all the hard work for them? Same, same thing, yeah, yeah. And I know school leaders who feel like they do that with their faculty too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: it's an interesting exercise. As you sort of listen to me describe this, Um, identify both where your staff are and where your students are. These um, directed learners are the ones that will develop their habits of mind when the teacher tells them to and how the teacher tells them to. These students will correct mistakes, but only when the teacher says this is how you correct it. They will respond to feedback, do what they're told, but they've got to be given the feedback first. And they spend their time producing And some of these teachers, some of these students, can get great results. I met a teacher recently who, um, (laughs) senior teacher last year of high school, and was getting fantastic results at the end-of-year exams for her students because she went home every night with all the students' work, corrected it, told them what to do, what they needed to fix, how to go about doing it, what the next question was, go back and rehearse it, come back and I'll tell you what to do next and she was exhausted. Independent learners, our next level of learner, are the sort of learners that can target their own challenge. And the big difference here is that an independent learner is in control of the learning process. Where a um, directed learner will learn under direction, an independent learner takes charge of that process. They can develop their habits of mind. They'll say I'm not very good at generating ideas have to go and find out how to do that. Um, They use mistakes. So when mistakes are made, they'll interrogate them. They'll say, what can I find out from this mistake? And in the same way, they'll go looking for that information from feedback. They'll come up to you and say, hey, Daniel, I I don't get this. I've looked through it. I've tried to work it out. (sighs) Can you help me with this one? And they spend their time striving, pushing, challenging themselves And when I go through this matrix, a lot of teachers, a lot of leaders say, that's great. We would love to have uh, independent learners at our school. In fact, I often hear that sort of independent learning is the goal. And I would suggest that it shouldn't be, that we actually need to do one step better. And that one step better is what I call an agile learner. And an agile learner is someone who embraces challenges They embrace them in the same sense as JFK when he said, we do these things not because they are easy but because they are hard. These are the people that look around and say, if you give them options A, B and C, they'll say, have you got something harder? I want to really (laughs) stretch myself. Mm. These are the students that cultivate their habits of mind. And when we talk about cultivating habits of mind, we live in a world at the moment where a lot of people are talking about strengths, you know, what are your strengths and, you know, working to your strengths and those sort of things. There's nothing wrong with that. But an agile learner will say, look, these are my strengths, so I should go and seek out a challenge that helps me build my weaknesses. So they're looking not to be a type. They're looking to develop all their behaviours. These are the people that design mistakes. Now, designing mistakes is something worth having a chat about, but, um, I hope I'm not making assumptions here, but we're kind of the same age group, more or
0: less, give or take a few years. Do you remember a game called Mastermind? Well, I don't remember the game, but I do know that that's the community and how I show up school leaders. I know the game exists, but I did not play it.
1: Uh, do you know that game, Guess Who?
0: I do know that game, yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've got kids. Um, have you ever seen someone play Guess Who by going, and often a little kid... By going, oh, is it Mr. So and so? Is it Mrs. This? And they just guess one by one?
0: Right, right.
1: Someone who designs mistakes goes, I want to find out the most information I can. And the first question they'll ask you is, Is it a boy? And if it's not, they can put down all the boys and they'll say, Are they wearing a hat? That'll And so you're deliberately making mistakes searching for the information you need. And in the same way, These people tailor feedback. Tailoring feedback is an interesting one. Um, Often in schools, we talk a lot about feedback and it's about giving feedback to students. Some of the schools I work with where we're trying to develop these agile learners teach the students to ask for the feedback they need. So when they're handing back an assignment, they'll say on the assignment sheet as they hand it up, my focus for this assignment has been X, Y and Z. I would like some feedback about have I achieved X, where did I struggle with Y and what do I need to do to get better at Z? And that allows the teacher to give the sort of feedback that is most meaningful to that that student. So agile learners uh, tailor that feedback to get exactly the information they need. And they spend their time growing. Unlike the independent learner that will set goals and reach them, Sometimes independent learners and you know, perhaps you've met some teachers or other professionals that you've worked with, they set a goal and they go, right, I'm going to work towards it, I can get there. Once they reach their goal, they stop and they actually become performance learners. And I've actually met a lot of school leaders like that. In the early part of their careers, they stretched and challenged themselves, got that role at you know, 35, 40, 45, got their sort of senior role thereafter But once they got to that point, they stopped getting better and they started getting busy, doing things, making sure it's all get done. And they actually stopped growing as a result. Whereas the person who is an agile learner that's embracing challenges because they are there, because they're going to help them grow, not because they need to reach a goal, but because it's going to help them grow and growth is going to help them achieve other things down the path. The agile learner is proactive in that they're always looking for the stretch, the challenge that will prepare them for the challenges that will come along later. So they're my six types of learners, and uh, I work with schools and teachers to help develop those sorts of um, dispositions and those sorts of behaviours in their learners.
0: Brilliant. Well, we uh, will link up all the ways to connect with you in the show notes, of course. Uh, Thank you for the masterclass on learnership too. That content is uh, very interesting, very helpful. And I know the ruckus makers engaging with this are going to find a, a lot of value in it. So uh, we're going to pause here just for a message, quick message from our sponsors. When we come back, I'd love to hear your thoughts a bit about the difference between resilience and being anti-fragile. So one of our sponsors is Harvard Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and lead your teams with this program. Get world-class Harvard faculty research, specifically adapted for pre-K through 12 schools, self-paced online PD that fits your schedule. Apply now at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. The BLBS podcast is also brought to you by TeachFX. Research shows that the more students speak in class, the more they learn, and the better they perform on the test. So TeachFX has helped hundreds of schools increase their student engagement by visualiz- excuse me, visualiz- <laughs> visualizing for teachers what portions of class are teacher talk versus student talk. Get a 20% discount on TeachFX by using a special code, just for the Ruckus Maker Nation, teachfx.com slash BLBS. Side note, James, while I recording my uh, audiobook, sometimes you just have to do a couple more takes. You stumble over words, and that's just real life. Okay, last sponsor today's show, proudly sponsored by Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies organizational skills and more. Organized binders color coded system is implemented by the teacher through parallel process with students helping them create a predictable dependable classroom routine. You can learn more and improve your students executive functioning and non cognitive skills at organizedbinder.com. And we're back with James Anderson a speaker author and educator who is passionate about helping fellow educators develop students as skillful learners, the quality he defines, and this is a great idea. It's called Learnership. So I mentioned before the uh, the sponsor break that I'd love to hear how you think about the difference between resilience and being anti-fragile.
1: The idea of resilience is something that we're talking about all around the world, not just in schools, but in broader life. And the directed learner I describe as resilient. And I've got to, look, the term itself is broadly defined. The way different people use it is defined in different ways. But a lot of the conversation around resilience is about bounce back. It's about recover. It's about big bad world is going to come along, protect yourself from that, and if the world happens to you, bounce back and get back to the way you were as quickly as you can. I think we can do better and, in fact, I think we need to do better. And the work that I draw on around this is the work of Nicholas Taleb and he wrote a book called Anti-Fragile. He's written several books. But the book Anti-Fragile really resonated with me because it connected with those other key ideas that I work with around mindset, Art costume Ben Akalik's Habits of Mind and Erickson's work around practice. Taleb says people don't know you know, naturally understand what anti-fragile means. If I asked you, Daniel, what's the opposite to fragile? What would you say just normally?
0: Well, uh, in the context of our conversation, I might pick (laughs) (laughs) anti-fragile.
1: If you ask someone walking down the street what the opposite of fragile was, what do you reckon they would say?
0: Probably something like indestructible or uh, uh, unbreakable, you know.
1: Unbreakable, strong, robust—you might even use words like resilient.
0: Yeah.
1: And Taleb would say you've missed the point.
0: Mm.
1: He would say that fragile things, when you disturb them, break. We wrap them in bubble wrap to protect them. Um, Resilient things, we bounce back. They recover from the disturbance. Strong, robust things need lots of disturbance. Before they will eventually break, anti fragile things benefit from the disturbance. You would wrap them in paper that says, Drop me, it helps. And he argues that things that are anti fragile, systems that are anti fragile, are the things that actually thrive long term. And an agile learner, because they're embracing the challenges, because they're there. They take what Harvard Business Review describes as a a once-in-a-lifetime view of learning opportunities. So when things like COVID come along, rather than saying, oh, do I have to weather this storm or, all right, it's happened, I'll bounce back, they go, I may never have this opportunity again. What a great way to learn how to deal with this sort of stuff. Mm. So they're constantly embracing these challenges. They're cultivating their habits of mind. And as they do that, they raise the bar. They learn to be more and more effective, more and more intelligent. And as you do that, you prepare yourself for an undictable future. Celeb will say that you can't predict the future. It's a a fool's game. It's impossible to do. And that relates to his work around highly improbable but highly impactful events that he calls black swans. Mm -hmm. But he says the one thing you can do, you can't predict it, but you can prepare for it. You can't know exactly what challenges are going to come along, but you can prepare yourself knowing that challenges will come along. And the person who is anti-fragile, rather than waiting for that disturbance and bouncing back, is the person that's looking for that disturbance, that's leveraging them all the time and preparing themselves for that unpredictable future. It's... um, enormously deep work, and I would encourage all of your uh, ruckus makers out there to have a look at Taleb's work. Just a little warning, though, if you're going to read his book, Anti-Fragile, um, perhaps Blinkit. Have you ever use the app Blinkist or get some sort of digest first?
0: Seriously. Sure, sure.
1: Yeah. Look, Taleb is uh, one of the few people in the world that I would describe as erudite. He's the sort of person who can put an example from the stock market from ancient Greece and science. All in the one paragraph, <laughs> and so it gets a little bit uh, dense, a <laughs> little bit heavy, heavy going at times.
0: Gotcha. All right, thanks for the the warning. We do appreciate that. I wanna I wanna bring us back to one concept you talked about before the break too, and you mentioned the leader who uh, worked hard to get to where where she's at. She's you know climbed the ladder as a uh, senior position, and now there's this. Difference between getting better and getting busy. And so, if I guess my question is if a ruckus maker finds themselves in the busyness trap or cycle, what are some things that they might be able to do to get back to getting better versus getting busy? Yeah, look,
1: particularly for our leaders, uh, our ruckus makers that are in leadership roles in schools, it's tough sometimes because. Yeah, we've got so much to do. There's so many things to respond to all the time. And we do get that short-term, you know, immediate gratification of getting things done. Let's get this done. Let's get this done. Let's get this done. But long-term, it's actually not doing us good because long-term, what we need to do is actually build ourselves to grow and to develop. And if we don't allocate some time, every day, every week, every month, to our growth, not all the time, every day. And when I talk about growth, there's a, a misunderstanding here. A lot of people talk about growth, I'm going to get outside my comfort zone. Yeah, getting outside your comfort zone is not always growth. The world is full of, oh, let's come back a step. Your comfort zone is full of things you can do easily, things you've mastered a long time ago. But it's also full of those things I call easy things that you haven't done yet. The world is full of things that you are capable of doing that you've just never had the need to do. Daniel, do you know your 13 times tables?
0: Uh, I did in sixth grade. (laughs) So you don't now? Well, I haven't used them in a while.
1: Yeah. If you needed to know them by this time tomorrow, could you know them?
0: Uh, Absolutely. I can memorise with the best of them. That's right.
1: You know exactly how to go about doing that. You know it would just take time and it would be a new thing but it would be an easy thing you haven't done yet. And a lot of us in leadership roles get busy with those sorts of things, things that are already already within our abilities that mm-hmm. we just haven't done. So it's the new program that we roll out, the, the new teacher that we enrol with, whatever it might be. It's all these things, but they're within our current abilities. Getting better instead of busy means challenging yourselves with things that are beyond your current abilities. Things that stretch you, challenge you, make you feel a little bit uncertain. And that's tough. You know, in a leadership role, to deliberately step into a space that you're not sure about, that makes you feel like, I'm not sure if I can do this or not. I might actually fail doing this. When you're in a leadership role, that can be really tough. And the reason it's tough is that a lot of schools have developed performance cultures, Mm -hmm. where it's about, particularly for leadership roles, demonstrating that you can, you can, you have, you have. And we see this reflected in um, annual review programs and, you know, every year or two you sit down and say, these are my goals for the next few years. I find that most people, when they set those goals, set goals a bit like learning your 13 times tables. They're goals they know they can achieve they're confident they're going to be able to do it. The only limiting factor is will they find the time to do it because at the end of the two years or whatever review period you might have, it's more important to go tick, 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 achieved rather than, oh, I stretched myself this far, I almost got there but I didn't quite. And so we've been trading off this short-term gratification of achieving something rather than the long-term benefit of growth. And so we need to break this performance culture and we need to develop more of a growth culture in our schools, not just for our leaders but also for our students and those that we lead in our faculties and our teams and our staff. So you asked me originally uh, about getting busy, not getting better.
0: Right, right.
1: As an agile learner, we embrace those challenges because they are there. I love that JFK quote We go to the moon not because it is easy but because it's going to challenge us, because it's going to stretch us. And not all day every day but every week, sometime every month, certainly over a year, we need to be embracing that feeling of discomfort, that feeling of I'm not sure how to get there, that feeling that my Year 7 music teacher discouraged me from. Mm. When my Year 7 music teacher said, oh, you had to work hard, did you? What he was telling me was that that hard work was a sign of my deficit and so I stepped back. And as adults we sometimes do that too. We find ourselves outside our comfort zone and actually a bit threatened, a little bit, nah, I'm not sure if I can get through this. And we go, all right, well, no, I'll do this instead, things I know I can do well. One of my favourite quotes is that there is no growth without discomfort. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to grow, we need to be getting comfortable with that feeling of discomfort, knowing that to grow we are going to feel uncomfortable, 7 out of 10 uncomfortable, not 9 or 10 out of comfortable, not way off the deep end going, oh, my God, I can't do this, but just enough uncomfortable to produce that stretch. But if we're locked in this performance culture of showing off, demonstrating, achieving, ticket, achieving, all that sort of stuff, we won't grow. And the tragedy of that is that when you look at the research, when people are interviewed towards the end of their lives, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, end of their careers, end of their lives, what they tend to say is things like, I wish I had, mm-hmm. I could have done, I should have done. And what they're regretting, they talk about their regrets, what they're regretting is they say, look, I've had a full life, a busy life, I've filled my life with all sorts of things, But that thing that I couldn't do when I was 40, I still couldn't do when I was 50, I still couldn't do when I was 60, 70, 80. I spent my whole life getting busy, but I'm dying pretty much the same person as I was when I was 40 because I stopped growing and got busy when I hit that career point. Now, that doesn't happen to everyone, of course, but that's what I mean when we we talk about that risk of getting busy instead of getting better.
0: Well, framing it that way, you know, puts it in perspective too. And, you know, uh, you want to live a life that is full, but hopefully without regret as well. So a couple of things, and I just want to add, and then we'll get to the last few questions. One, it'd be interesting to see how systems could uh, uh, build and reward the getting better, what you're talking about, versus tick, 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 like you said, achieve. What if you were rated highly for, hey, what are five things you knew that you most likely would fail and tell us what you learned. You know what I mean? So that'd be easy. The other reflection I just wanted to share with you and the Ruckus Maker engage in today is that, you know, I teach people sometimes my journal reflection process. And what I find fascinating is two of those questions are just, what did I try today that's new? And what did I learn? And it's unreal how many leaders actually do not have an answer to what did I try today that's new or what did I try today or what did I learn today probably because they're in that performance mode they don't want to fail and all that kind of stuff so I think that was uh, relevant to today's, today's discussion.
1: One thing in that sorry Daniel I was going to say this last night and he was saying that one of the questions he asks new teachers as he's employing them is uh, when was your best year of teaching and if they don't say it last year then they don't get the job because the idea is that last year should have been Good. their best year and this year should be better than the last.
0: Yeah. That's fascinating so, sorry, too. Add that, add that to the uh, interview protocol for sure. Cool. Well, James, if you could put a, a message on all school marquees across the globe for a single day, what would your message read? <laughs> well, in light of our last conversation,
1: it might be get better, not busy. Um, but I think it would probably have to be something like learning as a skill, mm. get good at it. Too many of our learners are passive learners. They wait for learning to happen to them. And just understanding that you can get good at learning. I had a um, teacher challenge me the other day and say, isn't learning innate? Like we don't have to teach little kids to learn. They go, well, yeah, you're right. It's, it is something you just do. But so is moving. Like we all learn to move without having to be taught. Mm. But some of us learn to move with great grace and precision and accuracy and power while the rest of us stumble through life banging into walls. And it's that idea that we need to transfer across to learning, that we need to think of it in the same way as we think about any craft, any mastery subject that we look at, that learning can be done skillfully. So that's the the banner I would put up there, that learning is a skill, get good at it.
0: Brilliant, James. And now you're building... Your dream school, a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitations your imagination. So in building this school, what would be your guiding three principles? Um,
1: first one is a growth culture. I'm not interested in buildings. I'm not interested. Man, they're important. Don't get me wrong. I've had lots of money. I'd have beautiful buildings. But I think we are stuck in this performance culture often. And I think the last 10 or 15 years focused on um, Teacher practice has actually built a teaching culture in schools. Some schools develop a a learning culture where it's about what you learn. But I think if we're going to develop people suited for the 21st and 22nd century, we need to develop a a growth culture, one that um, improves, that values improvement over standards, and one that values challenge over completion. So that sort of focus, the standards will look after themselves if we're focused on growth. Right. The second one, sorry, this three. Well, James... The second one was around uh, building skillful teachers and skillful learners. There's been an incredible focus on the skill of teaching and quality teaching over the last 15, 20 years or so, but I think we need to flip that across to talk about learnership as well. And the last one would be something that has been very close to my heart for many years now, and that's the Habits of Mind, Art Koster and Ben work. I've seen extraordinary things occur in schools that embrace the Habits of Mind, not just as a language for learning in their school, but also as a way of helping students understand how they engage in the learning process. And that one element of learnership Just understanding your learning behaviours, your dispositions, your habits of mind has a huge impact on school culture and a huge impact on student learning outcomes. So I would focus on the habits of mind as part of developing learnership in a school that valued growth.
0: Mm. So good. Thank you for that, James. And thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. We covered a lot of ground of everything we talked about today. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember?
1: Learnership, that we need to focus on the skill of learning, developing learners as skillful learners. It does so much. It not only improves student learning outcomes, but it uh, takes the pressure off the teacher as well. We've got so many exhausted teachers in our schools because we drag students reluctantly through the learning process. Learnership gives them back the skill and understanding of how to engage in that learning process and uh, seeing, just walking into your school tomorrow and starting to see learning as a skillful process, not something that's done to learners, but something learners learn to do well is the one thing I'd ask you to take away.
0: Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker.